Our scripture this morning comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thank you, Andrew, for the scripture reading and the music. And there's one other announcement I meant to make earlier to uh, let you know of the death of one of our church members, Mr. Tom Lovett. We've not sent out the constant contact yet. We were waiting on the McCoon's website and the posting of the obituary, but Tom was a faithful member, usually right down here, and his celebration of life service will be this Wednesday, the 22nd at 11 a.m. here in this sanctuary. So keep Tom's family, Carol Ann, and others in your prayers, if you will. And now, Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. He was a servant of the Most High God. He was a spokesperson for the Lord of hosts. And yesterday, he had a great day. The kind of day most prophets only dream about. It was a stunning, sensational victory over the forces of evil at Mount Carmel. It was a terrific triumph that he with no small amount of intervention from the divine, was able to accomplish. This was one for the Guinness books that would not soon be surpassed. This was one for the historians to chronicle every detail, relishing all of this account. This is one that the preachers would recite for centuries yet to come when they needed an illustration of the power of the Almighty God. It was a high from which one would not soon come down. What was it that happened? What was it to get so excited about on yesterday? Well, it happened like this. Ahab was the king of Israel, and Jezebel was his wife, Queen Jezebel. That's a name you don't hear a lot anymore, and uh, I don't know that we would even name one of our pets Jezebel, but if... (laughs) If you watch Jeopardy often like we do, and they do the biblical questions of Queen Jezebel is often one of the answers, and most folks seem to know that. She had a reputation. Ahab was a spaghetti-spined sort of wimp who allowed Jezebel to promote all of her false religion within Israel. 
But Elijah saw things a little differently from the king, and his response to Ahab confirms that difference. I have not troubled Israel. I mean, Ahab called him the troubler of Israel. Prophets were often called troublers, stirring the water, stirring the pot. And it was a compliment, in a sense, to be called a troubler. But, I, but Elijah said, I'm not the one troubling Israel, but you have in your father's house because you have forsaken the commandments of our God and you have followed the Baals, or some scholars say Baals, the, the gods of other regions, other peoples. So Elijah issued a challenge to Ahab, send and gather all Israel to Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And you can't think about that too much. That'd be like 850 people at the table that you had to feed, and that would just be a bit overwhelming. But all these folk there at Jezebel's table. So Ahab got the crowd together at Carmel, and then Elijah, in a gentle voice, with a very subtle choice of words indicative of his status as a prophet, said to the assembly, and he really didn't say it like that, I'm sure. He said, how long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if not, follow Baal. And then they stood and sang all four verses of the closing hymn. Elijah pronounced benediction, and they all went home. But that's not exactly how it happened either. They didn't say anything. So the prophet continued, there's only one of them. There's only one of me, 450 of them, but I've devised a test to determine who is the real God. And it was quite a test. It was quite creative and inventive. And uh, you know the story, most likely. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. You call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of my God, and the God who answers with fire, probably with lightning strikes, the God who answers with fire, then he's the real God. And the crowd all nodded their heads in agreement. They thought that was fair. That was a good way to go about this, to determine who the real God was. And then Elijah said to the opposition, visiting team always bats first. Y'all go ahead. And so they did, they got it all set up. The prophets of Baal prepared the bull and prepared the altar and had everything set up. And they began to call on the name of their God. And there was no answer. They continued to call and to shout out and to get louder. And they danced around the prepared altar. And sometime around noon, Elijah began to poke fun at them. Where's your God? <laughs> Perhaps your God is asleep or has gone on an errand or has taken care of some other business. Where is your God? Maybe he's daydreaming. So they made more noise and they began to cut themselves and, and do all kinds of things and to bleed profusely, but still there was no answer. There was no response. Their God was silent. And then Elijah said, everybody come on over here. And they did. And Elijah prepared the altar of the Lord and they soaked it down with water. They wet it over and over again. Twelve stones they made this altar for the twelve tribes of Israel. And they poured water on it over and over again and they soaked it and they stacked it, the wood, and they poured water over everything and they cut the bull into pieces and there was water running in the trenches around the altar. 
four jars of water soaked down the sacrifice. And they did this three times. Everything was kind of soggy. And then Elijah the prophet came there and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know that the Lord is God. You, O Lord, are God. You have turned their hearts back. And then fire fell from above, and it burned up the offering, and it burned up the wood, and it licked up all the water in the trenches. And the people's reaction was immediate and drastic. They fell on their faces. They repeated over and over again, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And then Elijah rounded up all these 450 prophets of Baal and it was not a good day for any of them. So Elijah returned home yesterday evening and he parked his chariot under the chariot poured out beside his house and you knew it was his chariot because there was one of those little yellow and black signs on the back that said prophet on board. And, <laughs> and he bounded up his front steps and he charged through the front door and he found Mrs. Elijah in the kitchen. He said, honey, you aren't going to believe what happened. What a day. I hope you haven't started supper because we're going to do the town tonight. We are going to have one big party. Hallelujah. What a day. What a God. Darling, she cried out, get a hold of yourself. Get a cup of coffee, sit down at the kitchen table, tell me what happened. I've never seen you like this. But she had to keep trying to slow him down. He was talking so fast that his words were all running together and he was so, 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 so excited. But that was yesterday. And the day after is another story. A story contained in our scripture lesson for this morning. It seems that King Ahab had gone back immediately and told his spouse, told Queen Jezebel, what he had seen at Mount Carmel and how all of her prophets, all of her people had been destroyed out there. And Jezebel, not surprisingly, was furious. And she sent a messenger to Elijah and said, if you have lunch plans for tomorrow, cancel them because I'm out to cancel you permanently. And upon receipt of the message, Elijah got scared, he got up, and he got away. Now his first stop was in Beersheba, and there he left his servant. Traveling alone from there, he went about a day's journey, and his flight carried him into the wilderness. And sitting down under a broom tree, which I think was maybe like a pine tree, maybe a little bit of shade, but not a whole lot of shade, sitting down under the broom tree, he prayed that he might die. It's enough. Oh, Lord God, it's enough. And now they seek my life to take it away. Just a few short hours ago, he had been on such an emotional and spiritual high that you would think he would never come down. But that was yesterday. Today he crashed, and he crashed hard. Yesterday, you know, Elijah's troubles all seemed so far away. Now he seeks a place to hide away because Elijah's starting to believe in yesterday. Yesterday came suddenly. He fell asleep under this broom tree. Actually, it was like a large shrubbery, a large bush like maybe you have in your yard. And he was awakened by the tough, the touch, the direction of an angel. Wake up and eat. The angel had provided a, a cake like a muffin and some water. 
And so Elijah woke up long enough to eat and drink, and then he fell back asleep. And that could describe lots of folks, couldn't it? Eat, drink, and sleep. And later the angel touched him again and said, get up and eat, or you won't have strength for this journey. And so Elijah did as he was told, and for 40 days and 40 nights, those numbers are familiar to us, aren't they? Showing up again and again in Scripture. He traveled to Orab, the Mount of God, yesterday. It was a long time ago. From a prophet boiling over with boldness to a fugitive filled with fear to a pilgrim puzzled and uncertain about what the future held, Elijah had covered a lot of ground. Spiritually and geographically, he had been on quite a journey. A prophet, one who speaks for God words of judgment and words of hope, one who is courageous and one who is insightful. That's what Elijah was yesterday, a fugitive, one who flees or tries to escape like a refugee in some ways, one who flees for their safety, one who flees from a hostile administration. As a fugitive, Elijah's flight was motivated by Jezebel's threat to destroy him. A pilgrim, one who travels to a shrine or a holy place. For example, Elijah on his way to Mount Horeb. He was a pilgrim, but one whose movement is directed by God. Though there are times, maybe, when one wonders what God is up to. From prophet, the fugitive, to pilgrim, Could it be that Elijah was coming around full circle to what God had had called him to do, what God was doing in his life, that God is not going to let him go so easily? Even if fear is the dominant influence in Elijah's life at this moment, God's not going to turn Elijah loose. And maybe that's one of the points of this passage, that even when we fail, when we fall short individually, and sometimes as God's gathered people, God will not fail us or abandon us. And if it's true, and I believe it is, I find it to be very reassuring. Upon further reflection, I believe there are two other points where this passage intersects with our lives and the lives of the people in that day. And I want to explore those very briefly for just a moment or two. In one of those intersections, we might accurately label burnout. Burnout is a phrase we use a lot and we hear a lot. And uh, just talk about being burned out when we're tired. And when we're weary, we throw the phrase around quite casually. But I believe a very real phenomenon, burnout, and I also agree with Will Willimon, who is a retired pastor, a retired bishop, I think still a part-time professor at the seminary at Duke University, that burnout involves much more than hard and stressful work. There's another component to it. In his book, Clergy and Lady Burnout, he had this to say. He told a story about his own mother. And I know it's Father's Day, and it's a story about his mother, but... I think he makes the point. He said, my mother worked for 12 months a year as a teacher. Nine months of that year, from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. in the classroom. She taught home economics. And then in the summer, the school opened a cannery for people who had gardens in the local area, and they'd bring in their 
vegetables, their produce, and they would put those away. And she said it was like an operation run by amateurs. And sometimes in the cannery, it got up to be 130 degrees or so. And she worked all day long there teaching people something that was important to them. How did she stand it, he said, I often wonder. I think she survived, even enjoyed those days, that work, because she had a strong sense that what she was doing was valuable and intrinsically worthwhile. It made a difference for good. She felt a keen sense of responsibility and a dignity as a teacher. And he said, I don't think I've ever worked that hard a day in my life as a pastor and a professor. Nothing as demanding and as physically grueling as those days of my mother in that summer cannery. Burnout, he said, must be related to a wider range of factors than stressful, demanding workload. And I wonder if Elijah's becoming burned out, so to speak, and fleeing like a fugitive because he's lost his purpose. He's lost his direction. Fear has has taken over, and it's not just the difficult work that God had called him to, it's that he couldn't see meaning and purpose in that work anymore. And it's that burnout related to over-involvement with us, sometimes in the church and the things of God. Or is it more directly related to a loss of direction and a loss of purpose? We forget why we're here and what we're doing. And we get burned out and we get stressed. And then the second intersection I want to look at for just a moment is are we fugitives or pilgrims? What category do we fall into at at this point in our lives? Are we fugitives? Are there things, people, situations, responsibilities, obligations, hurts, pains that we are running from? What are we afraid of? Who is Jezebel? Or who are the Jezebels in our lives? And what motivates our journey? Or are we pilgrims? Are our moments in this world directed by the God who loves us? Are we aware of our destination in regard to life in this world and in the world to come? Do we see ourselves or sense ourselves growing in grace, growing closer to the risen Christ and becoming more and more what he has called us to be as our pilgrimage continues, that growing in grace, that process of sanctification? Or have we become just static, stuck? What motivates our journey? through this world right now. And then in verse two of our passage, we read, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. And in verses five and seven, we read of the angel that brought a message to Elijah. The word, Hebrew word for messenger, we translate that as angel, an angel, literally a messenger of God. When Elijah listened to the message of death from Jezebel, He became a fugitive running away from the precious gift of life itself. And we know when we lose those close to us, we know what a precious gift life is. And when he finally listened to the angel, he became a pilgrim once again, his movements directed by God. So what kind of messengers are we listening to every day of our lives together as God's church and in our own hearts, in our own lives? Who are the messengers we are listening to? Are we fugitive or pilgrim? Burned out and useless or on fire 
on fire, bringing light and warmth to people in places where cold and darkness seem to prevail, even in the human heart at times. Which are we? Elijah was on fire, and he called down fire from heaven, and his fiercest foes were defeated. And it was a marvelous sight to behold, but that was yesterday. And today, Elijah's burned out. He's a fugitive struggling to become a pilgrim. Why can't we remember what he seemed to forget? That our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we're feeling like burned out fugitives, maybe we just need to pause and pray and recall and reclaim some past victories. If Jezebel is on our schedule today, then let's not forget the score at Mount Carmel yesterday. If God came through for us then, God can come through for us now. And I believe that God can and God will. Amen.